So today's passage, uh, it's, it's a pretty famous passage. I think we, uh, most of us have probably heard this passage before and probably most of us are somewhat familiar with the story about Daniel and his three friends, except as you're sure you notice, Daniel actually is not in the story. Right, it's in the book of Daniel, but it's actually his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are in the story, and they are really in what I would call a very nightmarish situation. I don't know if any of you have ever had a, had a nightmare. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have had bad dreams and, and nightmares, and, and sometimes it's really scary. You know, it, it feels so real when you're in this bad dream, and when you wake up and you kind of come to you, you're so relieved. Oh. It was only a dream. Wow, that was kind of scary. But for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's, it seems like a nightmare. It may seem like a very bad dream, and yet it's not. It's real life. Because they are being faithful. They're being faithful to God, and yet they are being punished, it would appear, for being faithful to God. Now, where Daniel is, you know, that's something that I used to wonder as a kid. Where, where is Daniel actually in the story? And, and the Bible doesn't say where he is. And so it, it would appear that he's either not here, <laughs> like he's maybe away, or maybe he's just not affected by the situation. But, you know, I personally think he's probably maybe on a mission or some kind of, you know, maybe he has something to do somewhere. But he's not in the story. And I remember actually as a kid, when uh, I was in Sunday school, and I was probably maybe in second or third grade, I remember the Sunday school teacher talking about the story and, and saying that Daniel and his three friends were in the situation. I remember telling the Sunday school teacher, no, Daniel is not in the story. Because uh, as a kid, I, I read the Bible a lot, being a pastor's kid. Uh, my father wanted me to read the word and so I read the Bible. And I remember being so certain and I, you know, that Daniel was not in the story and getting into a little bit of an argument with my Sunday school teacher. And, and as, as you notice in the story, he's not there, but these three friends, Shadrach, Michigan, and Abednego, they are deciding to be faithful to God. And because of their faithfulness, it would appear it, they are led into suffering. Uh, in the story, we have King Nebuchadnezzar, a mighty king, and he makes a, a great image of gold. And he tells everyone, to worship, and the word, the word of God says that this image of gold was sixty cubits high, and its breadth was six cubits. That's that's a, that's a very big statue. In today's language, it would be about ninety feet high and nine feet wide. So think about a golden image, ninety feet high, nine feet wide. It, it is a massive statue, and it is made of gold. There's a lot of gold to put into a statue. But King Nebuchadnezzar does this, does he tells everyone to come and to worship this golden image. And he says, if anyone doesn't, they're going to be thrown into the furnace. They're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, into the fire. Now, it is actually important that this image of gold is made of gold. I mean, there's a little bit of backstory. In chapter 2 of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a statue. And, and actually, let me just read it for us. In chapter 2, it says, The head of this image was of fine gold. Its chest 
and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And what Daniel tells the king is, is this, this, this dream is talking about different kingdoms. And the head of gold represents Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. And the other parts of the statue represent other kingdoms that come after. And ultimately, as we see that the statue struck right, by, by, by a stone that was cut out by no human hand, that obviously represents Christ and his kingdom. And, and so all of these kingdoms will be no more because Christ's kingdom will reign. And so Nebuchadnezzar hears this interpretation and he's probably bothered. He's probably thinking, no, I want my kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon, right? Where I am king, I want this kingdom to last forever. I will not have other kingdoms replace me or, you know, have this rock where I come and destroy everything. No. And so he builds, it seems like because of this dream probably, he builds a statue, not just its head of gold, but the whole statue is made of gold. And it's almost like he's defying that interpretation of that dream saying, no. Right, this kingdom will last forever. And so he tells everybody to come and to, to worship this image. And, you know, and, and people debate, you know, what is this image, right? Um, some people might think it's the image is of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Maybe it's of one of the gods of Babylon. I mean, as a kid, I remember thinking the, the image was actually just the king himself. But if we look at the passage, we, we notice that it doesn't really say. And so we don't know what the image was exactly of. Was it one of the gods of Babylon? Was it of King Nebuchadnezzar? Was it something kind of vague so that it represents maybe all the gods of Babylon? We don't really know, but what we do know is that the image represented the power, right? The might of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. So it was important for the king to say, look, my kingdom will last, and I want you all to come and to bow down before this image, to give worship. But of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not worship the image, right? Because they, they want to be faithful. We see that in chapter one of Daniel, where Daniel and his friends, you know, desire to be faithful to the Lord, and, and they're being faithful here because obviously God says, you should have no other gods before me, and there's no, you're not to have any graven image. I mean, I mean, these three, they're being faithful to God. And some people, some astrologers, some Chaldeans, they, they tell on them. And so the king, once he finds out that Shadrach, Michigan, and Abednego have not been obeying his command, he gets furious and he brings them, brings them to him. And we see actually in the passage, Nebuchadnezzar says to them, in verse 14 of today's passage, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you did not serve, you did not serve my gods who worship the golden image that I have set up? And he says, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the hornpipe, lie, try again, harp back, play every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well ago. So he says, hey, look, I'm going to give you one more chance. He's giving them ultimatum. I want you to worship this image, but if you don't, he says, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. Now, it gives them an ultimatum. And honestly, if I was in this place, I mean, it's, it's a scary thing, right? Obviously, you don't want to obey him. And yet the, the, the consequence is a burning, fiery furnace. I remember as, as a kid, people would ask me, would you rather burn 
or would you rather drown to die? Now, would you rather burn or drown? And I used to say, that's a terrible question. I would do neither. And then people say, well, you, you don't have a choice. You have to pick one. And I would say, no, I, I refuse to pick either because they both sound terrible. And it's a terrible predicament. And yet, Shadrach, Michigan, Benegal, they're very bold. They're very confident. And they say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they make it very clear, no way. I, we, we're not going to do what you ask us to do. So the king is furious. He makes the furnace burn seven times hotter. Right? Number seven, the Bible's number for completion. So really, it seems to be a figurative thing where they're saying the furnace is burning as hot as it possibly can burn. And the fire is so hot, actually, that the guards who bring Shadrach, Michigan, and Abednego to the furnace, they actually die. But these three don't. And even though they're in, thrown into the furnace, the king sees that all three of them are completely safe. And when he sees into the furnace, he sees not three, but four people are walking around in the fire. And all of them, all four of them are unbound and they are unharmed. And he says that the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So the three are brought out and the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, acknowledges the greatness of the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he promotes all three in the province of Babylon. And it's a wonderful story. And it appears to have somewhat of a happy ending. And so we look at this story and we ask, well, what, what is God teaching us? And to be honest, I think there's so much God is teaching us and we could probably go on and on, but we try to limit it to a few things here. And really I want to look at three things today. We want to look at the suffering of the people of God. We want to look at the faith of the people of God and the deliverance of the people of God. So the suffering, the faith, the deliverance of the people of God. And the first thing we see is suffering. It is a reality that there will be suffering and there will be hardship in this world. You know, we, we all go through the furnace. We all go through the fire. We go through the furnace at different points in our lives. Suffering is really a part of life for every human being. And either... You're suffering now, or you will be suffering someday. You know, sometimes I, I look at my children. Uh, they're so young. Right? My oldest is two and a half, and the youngest, you know, he's he's not even three months yet, right? Um, he was born in early May, and you know, he's really about two and a half months. I almost almost three months now. But sometimes I, I feed him, and I'm looking at him, and I just look at you know my son Joey, and I think, man, you know. Life is good, right? You, you know, you're hungry, you cry. Mommy and daddy feed you. You know, you, you have a wet or, you know, a poopy diaper. You cry. We change it for you. You want to be held. We hold you. You know, pretty much like whatever you want. You know, we're, we're here at your beck and call. And he's young. And sometimes I look at him and think as you get older, you know, there, there's going to be more hardship. There's going to be more suffering. Why? Because all of us, as we live life, there's going to be suffering. And in this passage, these three friends are suffering. But, here, but we see that their suffering 
is a direct result of their faith in God, of their faithfulness to God, of their obedience to God. They refuse to worship an idol. They refuse to worship this golden image, to bow before it, or to do what Nebuchadnezzar wants them to do, because they say, no, you know, we want to worship only our God. And they want no, no part of this. And because of their faithfulness, because of their faith, they are suffering. And sometimes we suffer for the sake of our faith, our faith in God. And sometimes it would just appear that we're just suffering and we're not even sure why we're suffering. But what we do know is there's going to be a, suffer, a time of suffering. And, and sometimes people think, well, if I'm a child of God, you know, God loves me, I shouldn't be suffering, everything should be good, and you know, everything should go smoothly. And, and we can see from the word of God, that is absolutely not true. But here's the question. If I'm going to have suffering at some point, now obviously, Shadrach, Michigan, Benigo, they're they're in a very precarious right situation they're 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 suffering they're in hardship how do we deal with it how do we respond to the difficult situations of life to the suffering and how do we respond when life just seems so difficult and we see in this passage that these three these three jews the people of god right shadrach michigan bendigo they respond with faith so not only are they suffering they're responding with faith in their God. And we see their faith in the power of God, but also their faith in the love, the goodness, the sovereignty, and the plan of God. And first we look at their faith in the power of God. If you look verse, at verse 17 in today's passage, we see them responding to the king, and they say, well, look at verse 16, they say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And they say it very clearly, if this be so, talking about if you're going to throw us into the fiery furnace, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Just look at the confidence. They believe in the power of God. And they're saying, look, we have no doubt in the power of God. We, we're not scared of your threats, King Nebuchadnezzar. We're not scared if you throw us into the fiery furnace because we know that our God is capable of rescuing us from any situation and he is fully capable and we trust that he will deliver us from the fire. They've seen the power of God in, in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 2. They, they have seen the power of God and they trust that God is continuing to work in their lives and he is powerful and that he can and he will deliver them. And here's the question. Do you and I have this kind of faith in our God? Do we truly believe in the power of God? That he has the power to work in our lives today. When life gets tough, do we truly trust in the Lord? Because if you're a Christian, and I trust that you are, that means automatically we believe in the power of God. We believe that God created the world. We believe that God created us. We believe that he is our creator, but also we believe in his providence. We believe that he is sovereign over all things, that he is all powerful. He is omnipotent. 
and we believe in the power of the, the cross, the resurrection. We believe that God has the power to forgive us of our sins, that we see that through the, through the cross, where Christ died for us on the cross, and through his death and his resurrection, we are forgiven, we are saved, and he has victory over death. So we believe in the power of God, but do we believe in his power when the world meets the world, when I'm going through struggles, when we are going through difficult times, and where we, when we need to cry out to the Lord, say, Lord, we need you to work in our lives today. Do we truly believe that he is powerful, powerful enough to work in our lives today? And, and we see very clearly, Shadrach, Michigan, and Abednego, they believe in the power of God, and we also need to believe in his power, but also they believe in the goodness, the love of God, because they believe in his plan. They believe in how what he's going to do. If you look at it again in that passage, verse 18, they say, but if not, meaning if God doesn't deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, but worship the golden image that you have set up. What are they saying? They're saying, look, we believe that God is capable of delivering us from this predicament. We know, <clears throat> excuse me, we know that God can deliver us from the fiery furnace. And we believe that he will, but if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship your image. Why? Because they believe in the goodness and the love of God. There is total submission to God's will here. They're going to trust in God no matter what God decides to do. Because, again, they believe in his love, his faithfulness, and his goodness. They have seen, they trust in his love and provisions. And so they, they're going to trust all the way. Even if it means we die, they're saying we are going to go to our death trusting in our God. Here's the question again. Do you believe, do we believe in God's love, in his goodness? Even when we don't understand why, do we truly believe in his love, his faithfulness, his plan, his sovereignty, his goodness? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are not in this predicament because they sinned against God. No, they're in this predicament because they were being faithful. They were being obedient. They were doing what they were supposed to do. And so maybe they could have gotten upset and saying, God, what, why? We were just following you, obeying you. Why are we in this predicament? But they don't do that. They just trust in their God. And they say, God, we trust you. And even if you don't deliver us from this situation, we are going to trust you. We are going to follow you. We are going to obey you. Is that the kind of faith that we have? Do we trust in the power of God, but also in his love, in his plan for our lives? Do we trust in his love and in his goodness? See, here's the thing. I think sometimes... We say, God, we trust that you will deliver me from this situation. And we, and we trust. And we say, God, I, I trust. I know you can. I know I, you will deliver me. And, and then we pray for something. And we say, God, you're going to do this for me. And then when that doesn't happen, we get really upset. We say, God, how could you? Right? This was a good prayer. Why wouldn't you do this for me? Why wouldn't you do this? for us how could you let this happen and i think when we pray like that it shows something it shows 
that we're not truly trusting in God's love and his faithfulness and his goodness. Because we're saying, God, you are only good if you make things happen in the way we want it to happen. We're not truly trusting that he knows better than we do. We're not truly trusting that he has a great plan for our lives and that he works for the good of those who love him. But when we think about God's love, when we think about the fact that our all-powerful God, that he loves us, his people, when we think about the fact that God the Father sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world, that Christ came into the world to live a perfect life, and that he went to the cross to die the death that we deserve, that he took our place on the cross, that he was forsaken on the cross, that he went to hell itself, for the sake of his people. So when we put our faith in him, that we are forgiven, we are saved, and we think about who Christ is, how can we not trust in his goodness? How can we not trust in his love? And so we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego trusting in their God, trusting in his power, in his goodness, in his love. And I hope and I pray that us, when we are in difficult situations, that when we are suffering, that we will look to our God, that we will look to the cross, to the gospel, and that we will say, well, we know that you are all-powerful, and we know that you love us, and so that we will trust you. We will trust in your power. We will trust in your love and your goodness. We will trust in your plan for our lives. Even if you don't understand what is going on, that we will trust in you that you are working for our good. And I pray that that will be our prayer. But we look in this passage and we see, we see not only that the suffering of God's people, the faith of the people of God, but we see the deliverance of the people of God. In today's passage, we see, we see that Shadrach, Michigan, and Abednego are thrown into the fire, right? The furnace is so hot that even the people that are putting them into the furnace, they, they die. But what happens? We see that Shezeg, Michigan, and Abednego, they are completely unharmed. We see in today's passage that King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, verse 24. He declares to his consorts, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And then he says, I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. What is going on? The three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are thrown into the fire. They are bound, right? They are bound, and they're thrown into the furnace. But what happens? They're unharmed. They're unbound. And, you know, we see later in the passage, Nothing is burned. Not even their clothes are burned. Not, they're just untouched. And not only are they unharmed, unbound, but there's four people down there. So King Nebuchadnezzar is amazed because, first of all, how is it possible that this furnace is burning so hot that even his own soldiers die, just not even in the fire, just trying to put, the, put these three into the fire, but why, why is there a fourth person who looks like a son of the gods in the fire? 
And, you know, commentators will say this fourth person, you know, perhaps there's an angel protecting, you know, protecting Shadrach, Michigan, Benigo, or maybe it's to say Christophany, where it's the pre-incarnate Christ is protecting them. And they'll say that no matter what, we see that God is with his people in the midst of the fire. But I like actually how one commentator, uh, Jim Boyce, puts it. He says, it is not difficult to know who that fourth person was. He was Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate form. Perhaps the form he had when he appeared to Abraham before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, or in which he wrestled with Jacob beside the brook Jabbok. It is a vivid portrayal of the fact that God stands with his people in their troubles. Right? This is the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity. As Jim Boy says, right, he was Christ, Jesus Christ, in a pre-incarnate form. And it is a vivid portrayal of the fact that God stands with his people in their troubles. And I think I agree with Boyce. We see Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. He is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he is the one who is protecting them from the fiery furnace. And as we think about that, then we, then we kind of look to the New Testament. You know, in Matthew 13, we, we, we see that the fiery furnace it shows the wrath of God. It represents the wrath of God. The wicked will be thrown into the fiery furnace. The fiery furnace is, is justice that humanity deserves for humanity's sinfulness. Eternal wrath of God is the fiery furnace. But what do we see in the New Testament? Christ. Christ goes to the fiery furnace, Right? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he, he literally walks into the furnace. He willingly goes to the furnace. Just like we see in this passage, the Son of God walking into the fire, we see Christ as he goes to the cross. He takes our place. Right? He takes the place of God's people. Right? Sinners like you and me, we deserve the fire for us. We deserve eternal death, condemnation. We deserve the wrath of God <clears throat> to be poured onto us. We deserve to suffer for all eternity. And what does Jesus do for his people? He goes to the cross. He takes our place. He takes the penalty for our sins. He goes to hell itself. He is forsaken on the cross. He is cursed. He even says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he goes through the fire furnace so that you and I we don't have to go through the ultimate fire furnace. Right? He goes through the ultimate fire furnace so that we don't have to. And how amazing is that? Is it because of what Christ has done for us, we are forgiven, we are saved, we have eternal life. We become children of God. And because we know that, because we know that Christ went through the ultimate fire furnace, here's also what we know. Just like Jesus was with Shadrach, Michigan, and Abednego in their fire furnace, when we Go through the furnaces of life, the fires of life. Not the ultimate furnace, but I guess the penultimate, right? Or the smaller fiery furnaces of our lives. When we go through our struggles, when we go through 
our difficulties, when we go through our sorrows, or when we go through times where we feel so alone or abandoned, when we feel like life is so difficult and we don't know what to do, here's what we know, that Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for our sake, Jesus Christ, who died for us on the cross, that he is with us, he is Emmanuel, he is God with us. And so whatever we go through, whenever we go through these furnaces, these difficulties, these sufferings of life, we are not going through it alone. No, Christ is with us. He who took our place on the cross, who went through the ultimate furnace for us, who died the death that we deserve and rose again, he is with us. Just like he was with Shadrach, Michigan, and Benigo, he is with us, walking with us, carrying us, if need be, with us in the fiery furnaces of life, these smaller fires. He is with us. And he knows our pain. He knows our sorrow. And he has strengthened us and giving us the grace that we need through everything that we go through. And he promises to give us the grace that we need. He is always with us. He says, right, I'll be with you always. As he sends the disciples out, right, to the end of the age. And he is, he will never forsake us. He will never leave us. And he will strengthen us in everything that we go through. And to be honest, when, when we know that, when we look at Christ and what he went through on the cross and the ultimate furnace, then how can we not trust him when we go through the smaller fires of life? How can we not trust that the same God who did that for me, what would he not do for me, right? If God would not spare his own son, what would he not do for us today? If he loves us so much that the cross happened, what would he not do for us today? And I think that's such a comforting, strengthening thing in our lives. And sometimes I think we wonder, I know I wonder, Lord, why do we even have to go through the fire? Right, in this passage, for example, why couldn't you just take out the fire, Lord? Right? Just scoop scoop these three out of the up out of the fire or just I don't know, just bring the make the fire go away. And and we know that in the Bible there is no promise of God taking away the fire. I mean sometimes he does. Sometimes he will take away the difficult situations in our lives and praise God for that. But then other times he will let us go through the fire. Just as Shadrach, Michigan, and Bendigo went through the fire. And even that, we say praise God, because even that is for our good. Because as we go through the fire, when we have our faith in Christ, when we know that he is with us, that he is loving us, that he is walking with us, he is protecting us and strengthening us in the midst of the fire, we become more and more like Christ, even in the midst of our suffering. We become more and more refined and we grow in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the suffering. And I pray and I trust that when we do go through the fires of life, that we will look to Christ and we will find grace and strength in our time of need. And I, and I, and I pray that even when we go through our sufferings, because we are clinging on to Christ, trusting in him, that we would not fall apart, that we would not despair, but that we would 
grow in our faith at that time, that we will become more and more like Christ through the fires, through the suffering, and that even in our suffering, that we will worship him, that we will be obedient to him, that we will be faithful to him, knowing how faithful he is to us, and that we will grow to be more and more like Christ. So that's my prayer for us today. That, yes, we will go through suffering in our lives. We will go through hardship. But that we will respond with faith, that we will be, continue to be faithful even in the midst of those times as we look to Christ, our Savior, our Deliverer, our Redeemer, knowing how much he loves us, knowing that he went through the ultimate fiery, fiery furnace for us. And we will say, Lord, thank you. I trust in you. I trust in your love. I trust in your strength. And I will follow you and obey you and worship you all the days of my life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you.